0: Good morning, my name is Dan, I'm the campus pastor here at Fullerton. I wasn't here last week, I was preaching at Artesia, and I just wanna share that I was surprised when I felt this, I really missed you guys. I know I've only been here for two months, but I guess distance does make the heart grow fonder, and this whole week I was itching to be back here, and it is really good to be back here, and I'm privileged to bring us God's word here this morning. We're continuing our series in the Why series, and I'm gonna talk about why evangelism. And so we're gonna look at Romans chapter 10, verses nine through 15. Please give your full undivided attention to the reading of God's holy word. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Amen. Join me in a word of prayer. Father God, I pray that your words this morning would not fall on the path, but would fall on good soil. Turn our hearts into good soil this morning, that your words would sing deeply and bring about a change. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, we're going to answer the question, why evangelism? But before we answer that, we need to answer the question, what is evangelism? The Greek word for gospel is euangelion. And you actually don't need to know any Greek By just looking at that word, you can see where we get the word evangelism from. And so what is evangelism? Evangelism is sharing a good message. It's sharing what we call as Christians good news. And a lot of times we'll say that the gospel is the good news. But it's not just any kind of news. And if we think The gospel is ordinary news that explains a lot of times why we may not be evangelizing as much as we want to or we ought to. Understanding that this word is exceptional, life-changing kind of news is imperative for us as Christians if we're going to go out and evangelize. What helps us understand how exceptional this news is is understanding the context in which this word was formed originally. Back in the day, this term, good news, euangelion, it was not just used in a Christian context. In fact, it was a secular term. It was used at the birth of a prominent individual, or it was used to declare victory in battle, which is why Paul says, how beautiful are the feet of those who carry good news, literally, A messenger from the battlefield would run back home, race back home to carry this good news of victory. And it wasn't just any kind of news. It's exceptional, life-changing news. Losing a battle back then, it's not like losing the Super Bowl. Your favorite team loses the Super Bowl. At worst, what do you do? You mope around for a little bit. You gripe about bad calls. But that night you go to bed, you wake up on Monday, you go to work, you go to school, your life goes on. But if you lost a battle, your life doesn't just go on. That kind of news is life-changing news. If you look in the Old Testament, you see that if they lose a battle, it could lead to deportation, slavery, the splintering of families, and of course, even death. It radically changed your life. Brothers and sisters, if you are a Christian, would you be reminded this morning that the gospel radically changes people's lives? It radically changed your life. I forget that. And maybe you forget that as well, how exceptional this news is. What makes the gospel message? So we're moving from the secular to the Christian? What makes the gospel message so radical, exceptional, and life-changing? If we look at verses nine through 13, we see that Paul uses the word saved three times. This is why the good news, the gospel, is so exceptional and life-changing because it's saving news. When we evangelize, we're not just sharing any kind of news. We are sharing saving news. Saving from what? We have to be able to answer this question as Christians. When we evangelize, what kind of saving news are we sharing? And I want to make it clear that evangelism in Christianity is not about saving people from unemployment, it's not about saving people from loneliness. It's not about saving people from debt. If that were the case, then you don't need Jesus, you need a job. If that were the case, you don't need Jesus, you need to consolidate your loans. If that's the case, you don't need Jesus, you need a vaccination. But we must answer, what are we saving people from? 75% of adults in the United States They believe that they can live a pretty good life, a decent life, without being a Christian. Do you believe that? Do you know other people who believe that? I can live a pretty decent, good life without being a Christian. I don't know if we're honest, maybe this whole church thing is an extracurricular activity for you. Whether you go to church or not, whether you go to church for a year or not, in your mind, maybe you don't actually tell anyone this, but you believe, you're still fine one way or the other. You can still live a very good, decent, successful, healthy, fun life without being a Christian. And I would say that's true. In this world, in this life, You can live a pretty decent, good life without being a Christian, but the gospel is not primarily concerned about this life in this world, but in the life to come, in the world to come. The word save here, it means to rescue from danger or destruction, from injury or peril, And according to the gospel, we're talking about the worst possible kind of danger or peril. What is that danger? What is that peril? If we don't know what we're being saved from, then we won't know why this is such exceptional news. So what are we being saved from? We throw the word salvation around a lot in the church and whenever we share the gospel. Some people think you're being saved from the devil. But that is untrue. Christianity, the gospel is not being it's not about being saved from the devil. Other people think it's about being saved from sin. And I would actually say no, it's not about being saved from sin. We're not saved from the devil because the devil is not our greatest threat and concern. The devil is not the one who will be punishing those who are non-Christians in hell for eternity. Nor is it your sin that will punish you either. Now, there's nothing wrong with saying we are saved from our sin, but if we're going to be very technical here, sin is the reason why you need to be saved, but what you need to be saved from, and this is going to sound odd, but from God himself. The gospel is about being saved from God. We are saved by God, but we are saved from God and for God. Why is it that it's God we need saving from? Because God is a good God, a loving God, a perfect God, but he is also a holy God and he cannot dwell among sinners. And herein lies the problem, is that we are all born into sin. In fact, David says we are conceived in sin, which means every single person, you, me, and everyone else in this world, from the moment that they are conceived, they have a broken relationship with God. No one is born on right terms with God. Everyone is born with a fractured relationship with God that unless it is restored will incur the wrath of God, which is the worst kind of danger or peril. I understand that there are many dangers and perils in this world, but the difference between those and God is that the dangers of this world are limited in duration and in degree. God is not limited in duration and in degree. And his wrath is not limited in duration and degree. Hell is not limited in duration and in degree. This is the reason why Paul says in verse 10 that those who believe in Jesus will be justified. That word justified means you are declared righteous. It means that your relationship with God is made right. But let me make this very clear. Everyone has a relationship with God. You all have a relationship with God. And maybe you're you're not a Christian and you're, you're visiting us here this morning. We're so glad that you're here. Maybe you consider yourself an atheist or agnostic. But I want you to know that even if you're an atheist, you still have a relationship with God. Everyone has a relationship with God. We're all created in his image to worship him, but because of the fall, and you read that in Genesis 3, we all have a broken relationship with God that unless it is restored, unless we are saved, we will experience the worst kind of peril and danger That there possibly is. None is righteous, Paul writes in Romans 3. None is righteous, no, not one. And the sober reality is this, that without believing in Jesus Christ, who alone removes our problem, which is sin, unless we believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin and rose victoriously from the dead, then we are still held responsible for that sin, And no one is righteous, no, not one. There's nothing we can do to undo our sinfulness. And this is why God sent Jesus Christ. There's only one person. There is only one mediator between God and man, and that is the person Jesus Christ. Friends, this is why we love Jesus. Isn't this why we worship Jesus? We adore him. We sing to him because he alone rescues sinners and saves us from the wrath of God. Why aren't we so eager to evangelize to others? Why am I not so eager? And I thought about this and I struggle with this as well I think one reason is because many people they don't look like they need saving. We don't see their broken relationship with God so clearly. You just see parents. You see relatives, you see friends, you see coworkers. We don't always see that they have a broken relationship with God and that they need saving. It's because they're healthy because they're successful, because they're happy. But don't be deceived. It's so important that we understand this. They are healthy. They are successful. But all of that is because of what we call God's common grace. God's common grace is the reason why people can look fine in this world. But apart from God's saving grace, they remain fallen in their sinful nature. Let me say that again. God's common grace is the reason why unbelievers, non-Christians, are smarter than you are, happier than you are, more successful than you are. But don't be fooled or deceived. That common grace, although it will make them look like they are fine, they are still fallen apart from God's saving grace. And unless they place their faith in Jesus Christ, they're still responsible for their sinfulness. They're guilty before a righteous holy God Jesus shares the parable of a rich fool in Luke chapter 12 this, this guy who gets wealthier and wealthier and wealthier and all he can think about is where he's going to store all of his treasure and he keeps building bigger and bigger and bigger barns and then one day he dies and his life is taken from him and in that parable he's called a fool I don't think he is the only fool in that parable I think as Christians, we are also fooled by looking at people like him and think that they're fine because they're so successful. None is righteous, no, not one. This leads us to the question now why do we evangelize? And the first reason is this we evangelize because no one will be saved without hearing the gospel. Let that sink in for a second. We evangelize, we share the good news about Jesus Christ because no one will be saved apart from hearing the gospel. So what happens to that person in that unknown region, unreached by missionaries who never hears about Jesus Christ or hears the gospel? How do you respond to that? How do you answer that? Some may say, we don't know. Others may say, I don't want to think about that. While others may say, there's got to be another way. Friends, we do know. We have a very clear answer to that question. If you didn't know the answer to that question prior to this morning, I want you to know the answer to that question right now. What happens to those who never hear the gospel? They cannot be saved. They will not be saved. We know the answer. Paul states that very clearly in verses 14 and 15. They cannot call on him in whom they have not believed. They cannot believe in him of whom they have never heard. I don't know why God chose this method of sharing the gospel and evangelism and missions for people to be saved. But this is his ordained way that people would come to faith and that there is no other way. There is no side door into heaven. If people are unreached and they never hear about Jesus Christ in the gospel, to be direct but sympathetic and at the same time, Friends, they are still dead in their sin. They're not justified. Their relationship with God is not reconciled. They have no peace with God. Yes, they will go to hell. Well, they'll experience the worst kind of danger and peril and injury without degree and duration. This is the why of evangelism. Because there's no other way. Maybe you're an optimistic person. I'm an optimistic person. And you just want to believe there's another way. Don't be deceived, there is no other way. Friends, evangelism and missions... God's plan A, and there is no plan B. The longer we as Christians believe that there is a plan B, the longer non Christians will go without hearing the gospel. There is no plan B for your parents, there is no plan B for your children. There is no plan B for your friends and your coworkers. There is no plan B for the strangers out there here in Socal. There is no plan B for those unreached people groups out there in the middle of nowhere. We must not believe in a plan B because Paul teaches us here there is no plan B. Unless people are sent, unless they are preaching, people cannot hear. If they do not hear, they cannot believe. And they cannot be justified. And they cannot be made right with God. To grow in our evangelism, we need to embrace and espouse these difficult, tough truths. And so one thing we need to stop believing is that there is a plan B. The second thing I, I need to stop believing and we as Christians need to stop believing, is that it won't be that bad. Sometimes we think it won't be that bad. And if we don't think it will be that bad, then of course we're not going to evangelize. But Paul teaches us here that it will be that bad. In verse 11, Paul says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. So if you believe in Jesus, you repent of your sins, acknowledge I am a sinner, I cannot save myself. I trust in what Jesus has done on the cross. He died for my sins, rose from the dead, and I am saved by God's grace. It is free. God doesn't ask me to do anything or to earn it. If we believe that, we will not be put to shame. But those who do not believe in Jesus will be put to shame. Now, that doesn't sound that bad, does it? Wait, so you're telling me the worst thing that's going to happen to someone who does not believe in Jesus and is not a Christian is that they're going to be put to shame? When I was in middle school, I was watching a movie and I drank too much, too much soda. I had to rush to the bathroom and I didn't want to miss any more of the movie than I, than I had to. I wasn't really paying attention and I ran right into the ladies' room right into a group of ladies who were wide-eyed and shocked as they saw me run in there. And I was so embarrassed. And I scurried out as quickly as possible. My face, I felt it was burning because I was blushing and it was so red. I think that's what we think about when we think about shame, just being embarrassed. But that's not the kind of shame that Paul is talking about here. The shame I just described For the most part, it's brief, it's temporary, and it's reversible. The kind of shame that Paul is talking about here is eternal and irreversible. The definition of the shame, as you can see, is one is said to be put to shame who suffers of repulse or who some hope has deceived. This kind of shame is the ultimate deception or the ultimate self-deception, they will experience this deception. Their hope will deceive them. What is your hope? It's where you place your confidence. It's what you trust in it. It's what makes you feel safe and secure, okay and fine. What is that in your life? Be honest with yourself. Why do you feel secure? Why do you feel like things will be okay? Is it because of your investments? When you check your bank account, you feel okay? Is it because of your marriage or your family? Is it because of your career? Is it because you are successful, popular, good-looking, skilled? Be honest, what is the reason why you feel so safe and secure that you are fine? Many people in this world feel that way. They're so gifted, talented, they've achieved much in this world. But what Paul is saying here, that on that day, when they stand before their creator, God, that hope will deceive them. They're going to realize at that moment, none of those things mattered. None of those things remove a single one of their sin and make them right before God. That is the worst kind of Shame. And everything is on the line. So it's so much more than just being embarrassed. In Revelation chapter 1, John writes about how Jesus Christ is going to return. Can you just remind yourself, just tell yourself that, preach it to yourself for a second, Jesus is coming back. and he will judge the nations. Everyone will be judged. And John is describing what that event will be like. For some, it's going to be the best day ever. And I look forward to that day. And if you are a Christian, you should look forward to that day. But for others, it's going to be the worst day. John describes it as there will be weeping and wailing on that day. People are going to be crying out in agony. Why? Because they say Jesus and they know they have not trusted in Him. They're going to realize at that moment He is real, but He is not their Savior. And they will weep and wail in realization what is to come. This kind of shame is the worst kind of shame. Friends, there is a hope that will not disappoint. Read with me here Romans 5.5. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Friends, there is a hope that is greater than your success and wealth and happiness and achievements in this world. There is a hope that will not put you to shame. There's only one hope, and that is Jesus Christ. There's only one mediator between God and man, and that is the man, Jesus Christ. Put your hope in him alone and you will not be put to shame. Even if in this world you've experienced the greatest disappointments and heartaches, maybe in this life things are not going your way or it feels like nothing is ever going my way. And it's just one bad event after the other, bad news after the other. And that is the story of your life. But if you put your hope in Christ, although this world may be filled with tears and agony, disappointments and devastation, you will not be put to shame in the life to come and eternity to come. What's most important is your relationship with God. And only Jesus makes that relationship right. Do not be deceived. Jesus is the only hope. Let me read for you what J.C. Ryle, he was a bishop in the 1800s, what he wrote. He says this, However sinfully and carelessly men may go on while they live, they secretly cling to the hope that they will be found among the saints when they die. They seem to embrace the idea that whatever they may be in this life, they will be found suitable for the inheritance of the saints in the life to come. But it is all a delusion Are you secretly clinging to the hope that you will be found among the saints in the life to come? Please be honest with yourself. Are you secretly believing that on that day, for some reason, you will be fine? J.C. Ryle, the Apostle Paul, tells us that is a delusion. For what reason are you confident? Only Christ gives us that confidence. Only if we believe in him alone. Will we not wail, but rejoice on that day? Knowing that we will be embraced, welcomed into God's family and heaven for eternity. So we evangelize, why? Because no one will be saved unless they hear the gospel. There's another reason why we evangelize. We evangelize because... Anyone can be saved if they believe in the gospel. I love this point. In verses 11 to 13, you can look at it here. Paul uses the word everyone twice. Everyone who believes will not be put to shame. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will will be saved. He's saying anyone can be saved if they would repent and place their faith in Jesus Christ. We evangelize Because not only do people need saving, anyone can be saved. One pastor outside of Chicago, he shared how he was reminded of the power and the victory of the gospel, which is something he forgets time to time. And I will admit, I forget time to time. That the gospel really is the power of God for salvation for anyone who believes. He shares about how he looks out into his congregation, maybe similar to ours. And he sees a young man named Ryan who's coming out of a difficult past of drug abuse, alcohol addiction, and sexual sin. He sees another single lady in her mid-50s named Mary. She's divorced. And she often jokes about how Jesus needed to put on gloves before he reached out to save her because so deep was her filth and debauchery. That's not true. No gloves were needed. I don't know if you can relate to Ryan or to Mary. Maybe you think about your past. And you think, so deep is my filth and debauchery and my secret sin. The history of my sin that nobody else knows about. Or the sins committed against you which leave you feeling so shameful today. Friends, Paul says here, there is neither Greek nor Jew. In other words, he's saying, it doesn't matter who you are, what your background is. Jesus can save anyone. Not only can he save anyone, he is willing to save anyone. If they would repent and say, I am a sinner. I know this. I know this all too well. And then place your full trust and hope in Jesus. No gloves are needed. You don't need to earn your way. You don't need to get your act together first. I think something we get wrong as Christians, and I get wrong at times, is sometimes we expect non-Christians to look like Christians before they become Christians. We expect them to look like a Christian, before they become a Christian. That is unbiblical. That is not the gospel. Nowhere does it say you need to start talking like a Christian and acting like a Christian and doing Christian things before you become a Christian. That is not conversion. No, the gospel teaches us in your current state, the way that you are in your brokenness and sinfulness And shame and filth and debauchery, that is where Jesus rescues you. And then, through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, we expect you to slowly grow into the likeness of Christ. So don't wait. Don't feel like you need to wait and attend church enough times first to pray or read your Bible cover to cover enough times first. This morning, right now, Jesus is willing to save you the way that you are if you would place your faith and trust in him. Which means when we evangelize, friends, let's not play the percentage game. What do I mean by that? In my mind, I can't help it because I'm a sinner and I have worldly eyes and vision. I see people, and I think they are less likely to believe if I evangelize them. And those people, they're more likely to believe if I evangelize to them. That's a the percentage game. I play this percentage game in my mind based on their appearance, their past, or their personality. And I think, eh, that person, mm, no, not so much. Friends, that's not how the gospel works. The Holy Spirit does not rely on our surface level social formulas to save individuals. The Holy Spirit is God and has the power to regenerate anyone and make anyone new. So let's not dismiss someone or disqualify them because of their appearance, their past, or their personality. Let's not think, I could never see this person in church. We need to remember something. That there is no one in hell who didn't deserve to be there, but there is also no one in heaven who deserved to be there. None of us were saved because we were better than anybody else. It is purely by God's grace. By grace we are saved. The Westminster Confession of Faith, read with me here, says this. As there is no sin so small, but it deserves damnation. So there is no sin so great that it can bring damnation upon those who truly repent. There is no sin so great that you could ever commit. There is no past so horrific that if you repent, you will not be forgiven. Nowhere does God say, oh man, that's that's pretty bad, that's a little too much, that's above my pay grade, I don't know, I'm gonna to have to think about you a little bit more, give me some time, I'll get back to you. That is not what the gospel teaches us. There is no sin so great that God is not willing to forgive if you would repent. He is a gracious, merciful God Willing to forgive. Able to forgive. I want to close here. Practically, how do we evangelize? I hope you're reminded of the power of the gospel. Your need for the gospel. And others' need for the gospel. So how do we share this good news? There are many strategies, many articles and books written on evangelism. I just want to share two broad things. The first is content and the second is conversation. If we're going to evangelize, we need to ensure that we have the correct content. When I was in elementary school, we learned how to address envelopes and packages to send them in the mail. And if you have a friend who lives on Main Street, you can't just write Main Street and that's it and expect them to receive the package. That's not enough information. There are 11,000 Main Streets in the United States. And so when we evangelize, because there are so many religions out there, we can't just say, believe in God. That's as expedient as just putting Main Street on an envelope thinking that it's gonna end up where you want it to go. So it's more than just telling people, believe in God. As Christians, we need to make sure that we know what the gospel content is. And it involves four things. You can see it on the screen. There's God, people, Jesus, and response. This is probably the easiest way to share the gospel, to make sure that you hit all the main points. You need to share there is a God. And he is good, and he is loving, and he is perfect, and he is also holy. He created us to live with him and to worship him and to know him, but because of our sin. All people are fallen and our relationship with God is broken. There's nothing we can do to make ourselves right with him. But God in his love, he sent Jesus Christ, his son, perfect, fully God and fully man. Because he was fully man, he could represent us. Because he was fully God, he could save us. And he alone took our sin and he rose from the dead, and if we believe in him, and this is the response, repent. Acknowledge you are a sinner. You don't have to repent of every sin you have ever committed. Nobody remembers that. But you're acknowledging, I am a sinner, and I sin, and I can't save myself, but I trust that Jesus did everything I could not do. He lived that perfect life. And when you do that, you are covered in the righteousness of Christ. Which means that as a Christian right now, can you be comforted with this truth? Maybe you had a bad week as a Christian. It was not your best week. Maybe you haven't had the best year as a Christian. But if you are truly in Christ, God treats you like his son. You are loved like Jesus. You are adopted. He sees you not according to your sin, even though you have sin, but he sees you with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You're not on God's bad side. As a Christian, you can never get on God's bad side. As a Christian, God is never angry at you, ever. Jesus took all of that anger and wrath on the cross. He took all the shame on the cross. So that when you sin, God does love you as a father. He may discipline you as a father, but you only receive love. You never taste or experience wrath or anger ever as a Christian. That's beautiful, that's what the gospel teaches us. And we want to present that to those who do not know Jesus. Also conversation, and this is practical. One pastor outside of Tennessee, he suggests this. I think it behooves us as Jesus followers to be more Socratic and less didactic. So we do need to be didactic in the sense that, like I just shared, we need to present the correct content. But he's saying, let's be more conversational. Let's listen more than we talk. And I think what he says is spot on based on something that I read, that 83% of atheists and agnostics believe evangelism is extremist. That the public, they have a very negative view of evangelism. But that doesn't mean they're unwilling to talk about Christianity or religion. In fact, many are, but in a casual conversation, one-on-one or in a group setting. And so in our conversations, we want to be casual. And I think there's wisdom in that. Some people may say, no, I'm going to stick to handing out tracts and open-air preaching on the street corner, and God can use that, don't get me wrong. But just like how Paul, when he traveled... From city to city to city, he understood the context of each city, and he knew how to contextualize and to deliver the gospel to them without tampering with the content. And I think the same way we can learn as Christians, if this is people's view of evangelism, but they're willing to talk about Christianity in a casual conversation, so let's bring it up casually and winsomely to engage our culture. Be casual in our conversation, but urgent in your engagement. And don't think that just because you're casual in your conversation, it means you're not taking it seriously. You can be casual and serious at the same time. So friends, let's pray for courage. Pray that God would put people on your heart this week. Give you the courage and the boldness to share your faith. And maybe you're not at a point yet where you're ready to talk about God and people and Jesus in response. Invite them to church. That's not the same as evangelism, but this is a place where you know they will hear the gospel. Invite them to church. And do not wait for the perfect time, because I'll tell you right now, that time does not exist. You're waiting for that perfect time when it won't be awkward does not exist don't wait for that time you'll wait forever find ways to bring up your faith informal ways tomorrow is monday so let me give you a suggestion if you're at work you're at school wherever you are just ask hey what'd you do over the weekend they'll share and if they're nice they'll ask you what did you do over the weekend hey i was at church And let me tell you about my church or what I learned. And hey, have you ever thought about going out to church? You want to visit my church? On Friday, ask someone, what are you going to do over the weekend? What are your plans? And if they're nice, they'll ask you, what are your plans? Say, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And on Sunday, I'm going to church. Would you like to come? Find informal ways to bring up your faith. And I'll be the first to say, I get scared. I'm a pastor. I'm afraid at times to share the gospel. It's awkward. It's confrontational. I'm worried about rejection, and more than anything, I'm terrified about looking stupid. And so I need to pray for boldness as well. And I wish I could tell you that whenever I share the gospel and invite someone to church, it always works out. When I look back, I think the last 10 times I evangelized and invited someone out to church, they didn't come out to church, and no one made professions of faith. If I can go back and remember the last 10 times I evangelize or invite someone else to church. I'm 0 for 10. So it's not like pastors are always successful in their own evangelism. But I'm reminded of this, that I am not responsible for their response and neither are you. We are not responsible for regeneration, for changing hearts and converting people. That's what regeneration is, to make new. Friends, we are responsible for carrying the news, but not for making people new. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. Faith is a gift from God. And to close, but there is no faith without hearing. Faith is a gift from God. But like we learned, there is no faith without hearing. I pray that there will be more hearing this week because we at Christ Central will be, do, will be doing more sharing this week. Let's pray. Father God, you are gracious, forgiving, forgiving, you are a saving God. You are willing to save anyone who repents and places their faith in your son, Jesus Christ, but there is no faith without hearing. There is no hearing without proclamation. Send us, send to Christ Central this week. Holy Spirit, empower us. And when the feet of believers here in this church, be beautiful in your eyes. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.